Welcome to ReachMD. The following program, What to Know About a Treatment Option that Targets BCL2, is developed and sponsored by ABV. This activity is intended for United States and Puerto Rico healthcare professionals only. The U.S. Medical Affairs Department of ABV Incorporated is the sole author and copyright owner of this presentation and has paid ReachMD to host this presentation. ABV is solely responsible for all written and oral content within this presentation. Copyright 2021, ABV Incorporated, all rights reserved. The following speaker has received compensation from the U.S. Medical Affairs Department of ABV Incorporated to prepare and present the following information and is speaking on behalf of ABV. The antiaptotic protein B-cell lymphoma 2, or BCL2 for short, is a key regulator of the intrinsic aptotic pathway and is often overexpressed in chronic lymphocytic leukemia cells. For this reason, BCL2 represents an important therapeutic target for CLL, and today we're going to be looking at a treatment option that targets this protein. This is ReachMD, and I'm Dr. Charles Turk. Joining me is Dr. Nicole Lamana, an Associate Professor of Medicine at Columbia University Medical Center. Dr. Lamana, it's great to have you with us. Thank you. It's great to be joining you. So, Dr. Lamana, let's get an overview of this targeted therapy for CLL, which is called venetoclax. Can you tell us about this treatment option to start? Venetoclax is a BCL2 inhibitor that is a potent, highly selective oral agent. BCL2 is an anti-apoptotic protein that is overexpressed in CLL cells. So venetoclax helps to restore apoptosis in CLL patients, which is one indication it's been approved for. Venetoclax demonstrates clinical effectiveness in CLL to induce rates of remission and undetectable MRD, even in patients who have adverse features such as 17P deletion. And who specifically is venetoclax indicated for, and, and what does the dosing schedule look like? Venetoclax is indicated for patients with CLL or SLL, both in frontline and in the relapse or refractory setting. In the frontline setting, it is approved in combination with obinutuzumab, and that duration of treatment is 12 months. In the relapse setting, it's approved in combination with rituximab, and it's given in 24 months in that circumstance. It's an oral agent, and there is a dose ramp-up that's done weekly over five weeks, starting at 20 milligrams, then 50 milligrams, 100 milligrams, 200 milligrams, with a recommended daily dose of 400 milligrams. It is ramped up to monitor for tumor lysis syndrome and to allow patients to have repeat laboratory work so that we're able to ensure the safety of the patients as we look at their electrolytes and make sure that their kidney function is doing well. So now that we have that important baseline established, I'd like to focus on the clinical trials that investigated this treatment option. Dr. Lamano, what can you tell us about the studies looking at the efficacy and safety of venetoclax or CLL in first-line settings? The study that led to its approval in the frontline setting was this randomized multi-center phase three trial, CLL-14, in previously untreated CLL with coexisting medical conditions. This was a randomization of venetoclax obinutuzumab versus obinutuzumab and chlorambucil. This study was designed to evaluate the efficacy and safety of this 12-month fixed duration of venetoclax and obinutuzumab versus six cycles of obinutuzumab and 12 cycles of chlorambucil. The venetoclax-obinutuzumab combination showed a 67% reduction in the risk of progression or death versus the obinutuzumab-chlorambucil arm, and complete responses were seen in about 50% of patients with a high level of undetectable minimal residual disease in this patient population. What we were seeing was that there was a nice depth of remission, including in 57% undetectable disease in the bone marrow and 76% in the peripheral blood. 
In the study, the threshold for undetectable minimal residual disease was defined as less than one CLL cell per 10,000 leukocytes or 10 to the minus fourth. In terms of progression-free survival, a post hoc follow-up analysis showed 82% at 36 months for the venetoclax obinutuzumab arm compared to 50% for the obinutuzumab chlorambucil arm. This really established quite a nice level of response for patients in the frontline setting with a fixed duration of treatment with venetoclax and obinutuzumab in comparison with a regimen with obinutuzumab and chlorambucil, which has traditionally been used for older, frailer patients with CLL. And how about the relapsed refractory setting? Have there been any trials evaluating venetoclax in patients who've received therapy before? In the relapse setting, in terms of looking at how this regimen compared with more traditional chemoimmunotherapy, there was a randomized study called Murano with a control arm of bendamustine and rituximab. Prior to targeted agents being approved and used more widely than chemoimmunotherapy, Bendamustine rituximab was a very common relapse refractory regimen to give in this setting, and also to older, frailer persons in the frontline or relapse setting. So bendamustine rituximab in relapse was very commonly used. And this was a study that looked at venetoclax rituximab versus bendamustine rituximab. When we talk about the notion of fixed duration therapy, this really initiated the relapse refractory setting, looking at rituximab given with a 24-month fixed duration of venetoclax therapy. In this study, it showed that there was a superiority of the venetoclax rituximab in terms of progression-free survival, an 81% reduction in the risk of progression or death compared with the bendamustine rituximab arm. The median PFS was not yet reached in the venetoclax rituximab arm versus 18 months in the bendamustine rituximab arm. There was a benefit in terms of 24-month rates at 85% versus 38% respectively. CRCRI rates were also higher in the venetoclax rituximab arm compared with the bendamustine rituximab arm, 8% versus 4%, although these differences in CR rates were not statistically significant. A follow-up post-hoc analysis at five years showed a median PFS of 53.6 months in the venetoclax rituximab arm versus 17 months in the bendamustine rituximab arm. These data are currently under evaluation by the FDA. Again, the venetoclax rituximab arm here as fixed duration treatment compared with bendamustine rituximab, which is also fixed duration, had a much more enhanced progression-free survival in venetoclax rituximab versus bendamustine rituximab. The rate of undetectable MRD in the peripheral blood for venetoclax rituximab was 53% versus 12% in the bendamustine rituximab arm. That really solidified venetoclax rituximab in terms of its FDA approval, but this was really the first study taking an oral agent and saying, hey, can we look at a fixed duration because of the PFS benefit and depth of response achieved here? For both the Murano study in the relapse setting and the CLL14 study in the upfront setting, we're following these data annually to look at both the long-term progression-free survival and overall survival, as well as to gain knowledge about how better to utilize MRD in this setting. That's great, Dr. Lamana. Now that we have an understanding of venetoclax's efficacy, let's talk about the safety results from these trials. What could you tell us about those? With venetoclax, there are a couple of key things to look out for. How we use this agent and monitor for some of its potential adverse events is important. Tumor lysis syndrome, as noted earlier, is something we need to be vigilant for, especially based on the bulk of somebody's disease burden. Whether they have a high white blood cell count or bulky disease, we're going to monitor more intensely for tumor lysis syndrome in the beginning, and also in cases where a patient has had an ongoing dose interruption and needs to resume therapy. Depending upon if the patient has some renal insufficiency 
or they're high risk for those patients oftentimes require hospitalization. Monitoring their electrolytes and administering extra hydration and medications to reduce their uric acid levels are similar to what we used to do with chemoimmunotherapy. That being said, by being prophylactic and aggressive, the amount of tumor lysis syndrome seen in the clinical trials is actually very low. Now, what are the other common events that I explain to patients that we can often see with this drug? Given that this drug works so well in the bone marrow, it is not uncommon to have some myelosuppression with this agent. There are a fair number of patients who can become neutropenic or have some mild anemia as well. In the Murano trial, neutropenia was the most frequent adverse reaction occurring in 65% of patients treated with venetoclax rituximab. Neutropenia was also the most frequent adverse reaction in the CLL14 trial occurring in 60% of patients treated with venetoclax obinutuzumab. The use of growth factors is something that I do routinely in clinical practice. If somebody has neutropenia that is persistent despite growth factor use, sometimes one might need to dose reduce the agent as well. I'll often explain to patients that they might have some GI issues. They can have nausea or diarrhea, and most of these are usually transient in nature. In the Murano trial, 40% and 21% of venetoclax rituximab patients experienced any grade of diarrhea and nausea respectively. Diarrhea and nausea were also observed in the CLL14 trial in 28% and 19% of patients respectively. I often will prescribe anti-nausea medicines preemptively so they have it if they should get nauseous at home. An anti-diarrheal agent is all that is needed typically. It is uncommon that I've had to pull somebody off of therapy due to GI issues. Patients can experience fatigue, and certainly some of that might be tied into their disease. When their disease gets better, they feel better, and their fatigue also gets better as well. For all our CLL patients, we're always concerned about the risk of infection. In the Murano trial, the most common grade three or higher infection that occurred in patients with venetoclax rituximab was pneumonia at 7%. In the CLL14 trial, 1% of patients experienced grade three or higher upper respiratory tract infections. In my practice, many patients are hypogammaglobulinemic and we're always concerned about respiratory tract infections, sinusitis, and skin infections. We can see an increased incidence of infections, particularly in our relapsed refractory patient population. If there is an infection, they need to notify us immediately so we can treat accordingly along with their therapy. If I think that an infection requires hospitalization or something more extreme, I may hold therapy temporarily. But typically, if it's something mild and they need to take some oral antibiotics but are otherwise doing well, oftentimes I'll just support them through it and keep a close eye on worsening of any infectious complications. Dr. Lamana, before we close out today's discussion, I'd like to hear from you regarding the take-home messages you think clinicians should come away with here. I think that many of us would agree that for patients and actually for clinicians too, it's really been a wonderful time to be able to help patients with CLL because we have so many treatment options. Given these remarkably active therapies, we really now can actually start selecting treatment options based on some of the preferences of our patients. These agents really help folks that have low-risk disease or what we'd consider more favorable prognostic markers, but they also treat very well patients with undesirable or less favorable prognostic markers as well. We really have excellent therapy for patients who have the most aggressive or adverse features associated with this disease. We're really quite fortunate in this time period to have multiple therapies and can often choose what may suit the needs of our patients, depending upon their comorbidities, whether chronic indefinite therapy might be better for some patients, versus a fixed duration therapy. Despite how fearful many patients are as they first embark on their initial therapy because they've never done this before, for clinicians, it's a really a wonderful time to support them. 
clinicians should nurture that and be reassuring to patients that they really have excellent treatment options currently available. Thanks, Dr. Lamana. Now let's take a moment to review some important information for venetoclax. Indication. Venetoclax is a BCL2 inhibitor indicated for the treatment of adult patients with chronic lymphocytic leukemia, or CLL, or small lymphocytic lymphoma, or SLL. Contraindications. Strong CYP3A inhibitors. Concomitant use with strong CYP3A inhibitors at initiation and during ramp-up phase in patients with CLL and SLL is contraindicated. Warnings and precautions. TLS, tumor lysis syndrome, or TLS, including fatal events and renal failure requiring dialysis, has occurred in patients treated with venetoclax. Anticipate TLS. Assess risk in all patients. Pre-medicate with antihyperuricemics and ensure adequate hydration. Employ more intensive measures, intravenous hydration, frequent monitoring, and hospitalization as overall risk increases. Neutropenia. Monitor blood counts. Interrupt dosing and resume at same or reduced dose. Consider supportive care measures. Infections. Fatal and serious infections, such as pneumonia and sepsis, have occurred in patients treated with venetoclax. Monitor patients for signs and symptoms of infection and treat promptly. Withhold venetoclax for grade three and four infection until resolution and resume at same or reduced dose. Immunization. Do not administer live attenuated vaccines prior to, during, or after venetoclax treatment until B-cell recovery. Embryo-fetal toxicity may cause embryo-fetal harm. Advise females of reproductive potential of the potential risk to a fetus and to use effective contraception. Increased mortality in patients with multiple myeloma, or MM, when venetoclax is added to bortezomib and dexamethasone. In a randomized trial in patients with relapsed or refractory MM, the addition of venetoclax to bortezomib plus dexamethasone a use for which venetoclax is not indicated, resulted in increased mortality. Treatment of patients with MM with venetoclax in combination with bortezomib plus dexamethasone is not recommended outside of controlled clinical trials. Adverse reactions. In CLL and SLL, the most common adverse reactions, greater than or equal to 20%, for venetoclax when given in combination with obinutuzumab or rituximab or as monotherapy were neutropenia, thrombocytopenia, anemia, diarrhea, nausea, upper respiratory tract infection, cough, musculoskeletal pain, fatigue, and edema. Review full prescribing information for additional information at www.rxabv.com or contact AbV Medical Information at 1-800-633-9110 or go to abvmedinfo.com. This program was brought to you by AbV. If you missed any part of this discussion or to find others in this series, visit reachmd.com slash leukemia care. This is ReachMD. Be part of the knowledge.